New Year, everyone. Welcome to the first episode of the Macrovisor podcast. This show is focused on talking about the big picture and how it impacts markets and the economy. Happy New Year, everyone. I hope everyone's had a lovely New Year weekend and is excited to be back looking at the market. Now, 2022 has certainly been a tough year, but definitely a year of learning. 2023 won't be an easy year to navigate either. And I'm glad we're starting off this year with our new podcast to hopefully bring some insight on how we should be looking at the market. And with that, Alex, why don't you start us off with an overview of what you're seeing? Absolutely, Aisha. First off, I bet everyone is relieved to leave 2022. A year for the history books behind us, well behind us. Every day that passes, people are probably going to be happier and happier, except that the year may have left in its wake what could be setting up for another tumultuous year ahead. There's a lot of things that have kind of come together that, well, they weren't to look, and that's exactly what today's show is about. First, we had the worst year for the S&P 500 since the great financial crisis. With 24% of trading days down 1% or more, the only year in any kind of recent history that was like that was 2008, where 29% of trading days were down 1% or more. We also saw the U.S. bond index had its worst year on record down 12.5%. So there was really no safety in the 60-40 portfolio allocation, which also had some of its worst performance in almost a century. However, there was safety to be found in some pockets of the market, including energy stocks, orange juice, natural gas, and of course the U.S. dollar. You can almost see Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy celebrating as we talk about orange juice clocking in a near 46% gain in 2022. On the other side, VIX calls and S&P 500 index puts performed poorly despite it being a bear market environment. That left many with ineffective hedging strategies, causing less hedging activity to be expressed through the S&P 500 options market and more within single stock puts and S&P 500 futures short selling. But what was curious is the propensity for traders to utilize SPX options with 24 hours or less left to expire, accounting for 44% of index options volume in the back half of the year. We also saw put skew on single stocks rise significantly, creating volatility smirks towards put premia across many issues. And so what that means in English is people were buying a lot more puts than calls on these single stocks, expressing these more pessimistic views. So a total inversion of what we saw for much of 2021, where you just couldn't buy enough calls. If you were in retail or even on the institutional side, people were piling in and we saw record numbers in the amount of call premium bought and put premium sold. That changed a lot in 2022. Along with it, liquidity dropped as volatility rose elsewhere, such as the bond, commodity, and currency markets. We saw some of the least liquid trading conditions across major markets since the COVID crash and the great financial crisis. And that drop in liquidity was no coincidence. Central banks around the world have been engaging in the most aggressive harmonized tightening in history. A combination of rate hikes and quantitative tightening has appreciated the cost of capital while draining excess liquidity out of financial markets. This led to significant declines in the most speculative financial markets, such as crypto and growth stocks, but really very few parts of the market were left without some bruises and scars, 
except maybe the energy sector. The NASDAQ 100 closed down 32.5%, showing that the appetite for tech was greatly diminished in an environment with persistently high inflation, rising rates, and investors increasingly concerned about the durability of profits. The largest tech companies, even after noteworthy declines, constitute 45% of the NASDAQ 100. Tesla fell over 65% and Amazon over 50%, leading their peers to the downside. Unfortunately, that meant mega caps were really not a safe haven asset. They underperformed the broader S&P 500 market cap and equal weighted. Additionally, a lot of post-COVID crash premium that was driven by central banks' accommodation was rapidly removed this year. That is to say, prices were discounted across the board in equity markets. And in some cases, companies closed the year below their COVID lows. And this story, well, it might not have a happy ending. As we enter 2023, there seem to be plenty more cracks underneath the surface of the market and the broader economy. So Aisha, I wanted to get your thoughts on this. I know you're paying very close attention to what's going on within sectors, industries, and individual companies. But before I do that, I also wanted to wish you and yours a happy new year and a safe and prosperous 2023. Thank you, Alex. Yes. So over the last year, we've both been sharing a lot of data. We've been sending out something like warning signs to people, right? But much of the data doesn't need a lot of explanation, but they do form a pattern. And it's a pattern of cracks forming in the market. So we've seen a few major events take place just in this last quarter. We've seen the uncovering of the FTX fraud. We've seen Blackstone's B-REIT refusing redemptions. And finally, as you pointed out, we've seen Tesla breaking down. I theorize that these are cracks, and 2023 may be the year when these cracks give way. And the way I see it, we are looking at more of these patterns forming underneath the surface. So we have a few interesting events coming up, and some of these are sure to affect the credit landscape. So for one, we have the public health emergency that's possibly coming to an end in January. We're looking at a possible 15 million people in the U.S. who will fall through the cracks in the healthcare system. Now, most of these people were being provided for by federal health programs, and now they will be forced off the system. This will be a major blow to people who may have to dip into savings and even take out credit to pay medical expenses while they wait to be re-enrolled into insurance programs. So obviously, this could potentially hurt the medical insurance industry quite severely. Many of these people will be pushed onto their employer's insurance programs. Now, I don't really know how that will go since we're already seeing employment costs go up for companies. How many employers will actually think about adding more employees to their healthcare plan? So you know that United Healthcare has been a favorite name for me in the last couple of quarters, and they've done absolutely great. But now I see maybe one more good quarter before we see things start to take a turn. Now, United Health reports on January 13th, and we will see what they have to say about that. The other issue we're seeing is liquidity. As you already pointed out, liquidity in the market has been very, very low. We saw the Blackstone REIT gate their funds in the last quarter. Now, 
When asked about this, the reason they quoted was that a lot of Asian investors who had invested in the fund had done so with leverage, right? So taking out loans in order to invest in the fund and were getting margin calls on these loans. So they were looking to cash out. After the year end, which is 31st December 2022, we will start to see these valuations catch up with the remaining set of companies, including many of the private funds. So once these funds have to mark to market, in other words, when they have to adjust their valuations downwards, which will probably lead to even further gating of funds, we know that with rates going up, we will see valuations come down whether that's in real estate or other asset classes. And it's not a big leap to assume that many of these funds will start to struggle. So all of this leads to a theme of low liquidity and quite possibly even a crisis in the coming months. What do you think, Alex? I think you're absolutely on point to illustrate these concerns, areas of the market that we've been focusing on, and quite frankly, the economy for the better part of 2022, raising red flags, but also doing our own research and finding things that, well, prompt some concern. I do think that we are headed towards some crisis, one kind or another, because central banks have the propensity to over-tighten. And they've even said that they're more likely to do that than the opposite, which would be to not tighten enough. Jay Powell's repeatedly told us that they feel they have the tools to address any kind of economic and financial market damage that may occur as a result of said over-tightening. And quite frankly, the way that we've looked at this, and we both talked about this off mic, it's really likely that there are only two endgame scenarios for this tightening cycle. Either inflation comes down markedly towards the Fed's policy goal of 2% as measured by their favorite flavor of inflation, PCE, or we have some kind of financial crisis or quite frankly, some combination of the two. One can lead to the other. But that's kind of what we have to keep an eye on moving forward is that 2023 could be the year that these cracks in the market lead to an actual crisis. And this is part of having an environment where liquidity is constrained. And let's talk about that just a little bit, because I think some folks who focus on reverse repo activity suggest it to be evidence of ample liquidity, and they might be looking at that through the wrong lens. This isn't necessarily a sign of abundant liquidity as much as it may be a reflection of low demand for treasury bills. And that's another side of this to take into consideration. So I think that the reverse repo market, say the last... Um, Reverse repo was something like $2.5 trillion. It gave the market some jitters. I think the bigger question here really is going to become, at what point do we start to see some of these markets really break? And the volatility in treasury, bond, and uh, currency markets has been exceedingly high. It's been at levels in some points of this last year in 2022 that we hadn't seen since the great financial crisis. So while we can certainly see that there is evidence that financial conditions are tightening, we also know that Chair Powell has said that he feels they remain too loose versus the Fed's policy goals. He's also discussed wealth effects and early retirement, which kind of give us a sign that the Fed wants some folks to come back to the labor force and they may be able to facilitate that desire by, quite frankly, destroying some wealth. So I think that may be a theme that we have to continue to keep a close eye on. Powell has talked about this during the most recent press conference. He also said something that no Fed chair has ever said, that he sees a housing bubble. 
which is another area where some of these wealth effects have been expressed. So I think it, that with the real estate market showing signs of stress and that being within the Fed's goals, that savior, the Fed pivoting to try to come to the rescue of the markets, isn't necessarily a theme that we can count on in the year ahead. Instead, more illiquidity may be something to keep an eye on. We can already see how it's impacted trading in bond currency and commodity markets. It's also had a big impact in equity futures, despite the VIX not really pricing it in. And we know that low levels of liquidity are correlated with rising volatility, something we've discussed quite a bit, and a topic that we also feel was uh, really a great one to talk about. You got that awesome, awesome invite to present in front of the EU and talk about, in part, how liquidity comes under stress during times where there's an event catalyst and how that can have an impact on price action, where it can amplify outcomes and, quite frankly, also amplify emotion. If you see things moving that much and you're a human market participant rather than a high-frequency trading bot, it can, it can affect your psychology as a trader. So adding to all of that lack of liquidity which widens spreads, which causes situations where less volume can move price more. We also have a lot of options trading happening in the S&P 500 and other index and ETF options exceeding $1 trillion a day of premium changing hands. So that adds leverage to an already illiquid market. That means that these derivatives, at least in the case of the S&P 500, have become effectively the tail that wags the dog. They are now center stage and the impact they have on the underlying asset, which is really the broader stock market, has simply become a consequence of this high frequency, high leverage trading, amplifying volatility throughout the S&P and all of its underlying and really the broader stock market. So as a result, not only can we expect a rather illiquid trading environment in at least the first half of 2023, if not the entire year, but we may actually see these conditions worsen. As we see a greater propensity to utilize shorter dated options really kick up in the last half of 2022, but also central banks that continue to take that liquidity out of markets, which can further reduce participation and widen spreads and cause those outcomes where there's wider, fatter tail risk in both directions because it takes less volume to move price more. So this is a phenomenon that's created intense price movements. We've already seen it this year. A great example of that was how much economic data could move price. For example, the October CPI number, where pre-market, we were down something like 3 4%, only to reverse all that and close the day higher because of that illiquidity, because of those pockets of concentrated short interest having price run against them, and because of a market where there wasn't the amount of order flow or participation by other market participants to absorb that impact. So while we see inflation and other related data become the focal point of central banks in 2022, it's also become the focal point of traders. They're looking at this data and thinking a single data point might change the entire trajectory of central bank policy and sort of trading against that idea. Meanwhile, these same central banks, including the Fed, have struck an even more hawkish tone 
As the year went on and their policies did not have the desired level of impact, trying to fight against a tight labor market, trying to dissuade upward price pressure, and quite frankly, trying to slow the economy to below trend growth in the Atlanta Fed GDP now forecast for Q4, just came in at about 3.7%. So we're just not seeing the level of progress with sticky services, inflation, and a tight labor market. And quite frankly, a stronger than expected economy. That's led us to this path of higher for longer. That's the new mantra by both the Fed and the once dovish ECB, with the expectation of terminal rates from both central banks reaching higher levels than market participants expect even now, and QT running for longer than what's being priced in. We've seen that in the past, Liquidity, when it's constrained and financial conditions tighten, that leads to a slowdown in the economy. But usually, before even that, we see those signs in corporate earnings deteriorating. Aisha, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. I know you've been paying close attention to what's going on. What are you seeing and do you believe an earnings recession may come to fruition this year? Absolutely. Thank you. Um, I think the earnings recession is already in play. And now a lot of the major banks seem to agree with me as well. So talking about financial conditions tightening, we saw quite a lot of tightening during the year. Uh, but then towards the end of the year, we saw some of that, you know, alleviate a little bit. And I think every time we get earnings, um, we see earnings beats and we see the market move up on earnings beats. Um, but in reality, earnings are coming down quarter on quarter, and I think people need to pay more attention to this. So from what we know, the average drop in earnings during a recession is about 20%. And if you consider the great financial crisis and the dot-com bubble, it's about 30%. And we're nowhere close to that number. And I do believe that we will see a significant level of decline in earnings growth this year. So as of December, FactSet, for example, has told us that the EPS change estimate is about negative 2.2%. Again, that's nowhere close to the average decline, or even the least amount of decline, was a, which was about 4% during an economic contraction. Speaking of inflation, while we're seeing inflation come down, so we're, we're experiencing disinflation, and it is a welcome factor for the economy, it actually causes a lot of pressure on earnings. So what we begin to see is revenues start to come down and unit prices as well coming down. So certain sectors like consumer staples, however, will see this take place with a time lag. And that's why they tend to do better in a recessionary environment, an, an environment of slow growth and slowing inflation, something that we are about to experience now. There are other signs of deterioration in credit as well to look for. I do believe the real credit stress will stem from the consumer first. I know we've been hearing most of the banks and most of the leaders talk about the consumer being very strong, but we've been seeing data month on month, quarter on quarter, where we're seeing the consumer gradually weaken. So consumers have been borrowing in 2022, and what we've seen is revolving credit and credit cards grow by over 16%. Now, this might not seem like a huge number, but this is the highest growth in 20 years. That's a lot. And what we've also seen is excess savings 
eroding fast. People have to dip into their savings to pay their bills. Bills are going up. Uh, cost of food is going up. Everything, the price of everything is going up. So people are having to dip into their savings. And when they don't have enough savings, they're dipping, they're taking out credit, right? And with borrowing costs skyrocketing, what we're going to see is a situation where the U.S. consumer gradually becomes stressed, if not distressed. Now, I'm waiting for the big banks to kick off earnings season with J.P. Morgan, who reports as well on January 13th. Last quarter, what we saw was banks' loan provisioning increase across the board. So what this means is they keep aside a portion of their capital for bad debts. So they are expecting bad debts to increase. They're expecting defaults to increase. And this time, I think we're likely to see a similar trend, um, if not higher. But what we need to see is just how bad it gets, right? Banks are already cutting staff, and that's never a good sign to me. They tend to be the leader because they know more about the economy than anyone else. They're looking at every sector of the economy, every asset class. So when the big banks like Goldman Sachs start to cut staff, you need to be worried. And I am wary of what comes next. So we will see this earnings recession play out. And an earnings recession almost always gives way to a proper recession in the economy. And finally, once this recession plays out, I think the tide would turn. I do think that 2023 will have several turning points. I don't expect a pivot just yet. I don't think the Fed is going to start cutting rates. But I do think that we will have several turning points in the market. And we will finally see that bottom in stocks that everyone has been hoping for. So I think it's really time for us to analyze the markets, to get ready, and to look at companies with a fresh worldview. Now that a lot of the valuations have come down, or let's say the P.E. ratios or the price-to-sales ratios have come down, I think things are more normalized, if you'd like. So I think it's really a great time to look at these companies with a fresh worldview and to look at investing for what it is. Not a sport where every asset class just goes up, fueled by cheap liquidity, but a more measured, thoughtful approach to where we allocate our money. And that's what we hope to cover with our podcast going forward. Not just the big picture, but as well to look at opportunities in the market as and when they come. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much, Aisha. So many great points that you made there that I think are really important for our audience to reflect on. And I want to tell everyone out there that's listening that we'll be back in two weeks. We're going to take some time to digest the beginning of earnings season. And then we're going to come back with the second episode of the Macrovisor podcast with myself, Alex, and my co-host Aisha to talk more about what we're seeing, why it matters and how it impacts the market and the economy. Thanks for tuning in. And once again, Happy New Year, everyone.